56 men signed the Declaration of Independence. Their conviction resulted in an untold sufferings for themselves and for their families. Of the 56, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned. Two lost their sons in the Revolutionary Army. Another had two sons captured. Nine of the 56 fought and died from wounds and hardships of the war. Carter Braxton of Virginia, a wealthy planter and trader, saw his ship sunk by the British Navy. He sold his, house, his home and properties to pay his debts and died in poverty. In the Battle of Yorktown, the British General Cornwallis had taken over Thomas Nelson's home from his headquarters. Nelson told General George Washington, open up fire on the Nelson home. The home was destroyed and Nelson died bankrupt. John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside as she was dying. Their 13 children fled from their lives. His fields and mill were destroyed. For over a year, he lived in forests and caves, returning home only to find his wife dead and his children vanished. A few weeks later, he died from exhaustion. Now, as we think about freedom and independence, as we think about this glorious day that we would call the 4th of July, that we all celebrate of our independence and freedom, there were people that sacrificed, were willing to suffer to give a freedom to a country that was reigned in in a tyrant way from, from England. And what they wanted to do is we know the story and understand the history is they wanted to take over our land that we have today for themselves. And we, we would believe as a nation that even God would give us that freedom to be able to live in a nation that we can make choices as we see fit and even have to learn how to suffer through trial and tribulation and sacrifice to be able to get this freedom. And as we, as we think about today and how suffering has to occur, the seriousness of this, of this day and the story that's laid out is so important for us to grasp. Because in all of us, we have a story, as we said. There are elements in a story. And we know that just with this whole war that happened, the Revolutionary War that happened, there was a point in the story when we looked like we were going to lose as American colonies. And we didn't know how that story was going to turn around. But there was a turning point. And at that turning point, what happened was the American colonies, America, came, overcame and, and defeated England. And defeated the British army, defeated Cornwallis, as we know at the very end when they had to give in and surrender And we know and understand, too, that we do believe as an American people that we're one nation under God. But my prayer is that we as a Christian people would understand that that God, that word God, isn't some generic God. It's not a God who's deistic God who sits in the heavens and allows us to do whatever we want to do. But that God that I truly believe was intended from the beginning is the God of Israel, Yahweh, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the, the God of the Bible, the God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for sin, who gives us the ultimate freedom. 
because the ultimate freedom of being able to be set free from our sins so that we would not only have the assurance of eternal life, but have the freedom to share that message with those around us here in America. Now, we understand that we have certain freedoms here in America to be able to share the gospel, to share our faith. But there are certain, unfortunate, our brothers and sisters are in third world countries that do not have the freedoms that we have and yet are willing to share their faith, willing to share their story, willing to share their testimony, how they've been set free from sin and how only Jesus Christ can set a sinner free to give them eternal life. And that although they would be willing to suffer, that third world country Christians would be willing to suffer even to the point of death. They'll be willing to do it just to proclaim the gospel and the story that God has given them. That's the beauty of what God has shown us, whether we're here in America or abroad, we have that freedom. We can carry that freedom, not as Americans, but as Christians. We can carry that freedom all around the world. And we can do it because God can open doors as he sees fit. And God can open a door to make it free. Even though we may be in a country where there's a tyranny rule and reign, we can still have the freedom. You know the underground church that's in China or others, that other countries that are dealing with that. Other Christians that are concerned when they have to share their faith. They're willing to die for their faith. But we who have these freedoms here in America, we have the freedom to speak The freedom of religion, the freedom, and some of you might say, but wait a minute, have you kind of read the news yet lately, Bruno? Those freedoms are dwindling. Not unless God allows it to. We have to understand that God is sovereign and in control, and he can give us the freedom to speak whenever, however, or whichever he wants to do, because he's God, and he's sovereign, he sits on the throne, and his son Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. And so we have to hold on to that truth, that doctrinal truth, that theology that God has given us, that he is sovereign and is exhausted foreknowledge. He knows, and nothing's mistaken, and nothing is out of his hands. And so as we understand that, we have to see that there's a story here, that God knows our story very well. And so as we see, we we recognize that, that from religion to redemption, that was Paul's story. We talked last week about that he was from persecutor to persecuted. We can also say that it's from religion to redemption. And we know that redemption means freedom, that God has redeemed us from the debt that we have with sin. And we have to understand that that sin debt will overcome us with great, great, great validity and freedom. And so we have to understand that. So Acts chapter 9, 15 and 16, as we talked about last week, we see that it's very clear. It says, but the Lord said to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument. We understand that it's Jesus speaking to Ananias of mine to carry my name. Before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer. Remember, the word must is a day verb in the Greek that it's necessary to happen, that he must suffer for the sake of my name. So, so really what Paul's story is, is about suffering. We would look at it and think, no, not really. He's been set free from sin. But if you look out throughout the entire book of Acts, you see that he suffers for the sake of the gospel. And I want to lay that out just a little bit. We have to understand how important that is as we look at this particular passage because we start there and now we're looking at chapter 9, verses 20, 22. And it says this, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. This is just immediately after he has trusted in Christ for salvation. 
He's been baptized. He's sent out. He's an instrument for God. And now he has to be sent out to bring honor and glory to God. Now, he's, remember that he's been traveling 150 miles, six-day trip, trying to send the letters to the synagogues to imprison and bind, and bind what we call bind up the Christians. But yet, God sets something up quite nicely because in that very next verse, we see, ironically, that this so-called Saul, who wants to persecute Christians and have them killed, now is proclaiming this so-called Jesus, who is the leader of the way. So these followers that are before him. And now it says in this verse, it says, saying he is the son of God. He declares him as the Messiah. One that where he was against it, he's now for it. And in verse 21, it says, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? Caiaphas, verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So here he was trying to go there with the intention to bind them up, imprison them, to get them back to Jerusalem so that he can just stop the momentum and movement. And here now, God has flipped the script at the turning point of the story and says, I'm going to get a hold of his heart, save him from his sin, and now he's going to work for me and I'm going to gain more momentum on my end. And here is Paul, and we know it's Paul, but it was Saul at the time. It says that he, they were confounded, that these Jews were confused. I mean, that word means to be dismayed, to be troubled, to stir up. And you'll see, we'll see through this story that the Jews are stirred up throughout the entire story. One of their most passionate leaders fell into a trap. Now, what does that do for the Jews here? Let's just talk about the Jews and the storyline here. It says they did, it, it did not only confuse them, they were scared. These Jews were scared. Their reaction of anger was founded in fear. Do you know when you and I, when we're afraid, we get angry. We want to control the situation. We're confused. Can't have our hands on it. We can't get our grip on it. We want to make something happen. So we get angry and we gossip and we slander and we just go about our business. And this is what the Jews are doing. They were confounded, they were confused, and it was based in fear. And Paul, funny or not, that, that they were, the, the people of the way were confused, they're still confused because now Paul is for them, but they weren't convinced. See, religion, what it does is religion can be measured. And a people can, be, can determine their identity and their culture and their context and their ethnicity. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Jew. I'm a Baptist. You can call it whatever you want. It can be an identity. It could be your three Baptist generation. I mean, I was in Italy, and I remember, and they would come up to me when I was in there in 1993. And it was a gentleman who came up to me, and he goes, uh, it's nice that you follow God. You're obviously speaking to me in Italian. He goes, because your grandfather followed God, and I think even your mother follows God, and now you're following God. And what we would be there for in August was what we call La Festa di Madonna, which is the Feast of Mary, that you would carry a statue all around the town. And you would reenact the gospel, the, the, the storyline of when Jesus rose from the dead. But Mary was worshipped, and they put money there for the Catholic Church. And they said, you're going to come? 
I said, no. Why not? Because Mary's dead. And they looked at me. I said, how dare you say that? Well, she is. That's a statue. If she speaks, let me know what she says. Because I have no, I know last time I, I checked it, there was nobody speaking from a statue for me. And they looked at me with a weak malocchio, and they gave me the evil look. And I just said, hey, I'm just telling the truth right here. And I have no money for you, by the way. And so then my mother came down, and she started giving me a lip. I said, Mom, back off. You evangelista. I said, I know. But I'm going to speak up. Why? Because I'm going to speak the truth. God gave me the gospel. I'm not comforting anyone with a lie. I'm going to speak the truth, and I allow God to do whatever he says and sees fit. Well, you know the rest of my days there weren't too fitting for 10 days in my hometown because I'll tell you, they were coming after me for 10 days. But you know what, though? The storyline is clear. They were confused. But we have to speak the truth because I had to tell them that Christ set me free. It's a Christocentric, gospel-centered message. It set me free from my sin. It set me free that I could have peace with God and a relationship with God. It set me free that I could have the assurance of eternal life, wondering as a Catholic grown up for 20 years to why am I here? Why do I exist? And God made it clear when he sent his son Jesus. And he met me at a place where he saved me from my sin. I'll never forget that day. And I don't want God to ever let me forget it. That's what fuels my passion to share the gospel of Jesus Christ because I don't want people to live a lie. I want them to hear the truth and I'll allow God to do whatever he wants to, but I'm a proclaimer of the truth and I want to proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called for because see, Paul was zealous. He was zealous, but he admitted that he was zealous with no knowledge. He thought he knew God. He said in Philippians chapter 3, but in Romans 10, 1 through 4, listen to his passion. Because he had a similar passion for God. He was zealous. But this is where zeal changed. It transferred to Lord Jesus Christ. In Romans 10, 1 through 4, it says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them is that they may be saved. To them is, is the Israelites. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. No, just so similar. And that's how the story, the saga continued. Paul said from Acts 1.8, even through 9, chapter 9 and 16, that he would proclaim to be the witness for Christ. Because we understand witness is the word for martyr willing to die for the kingdom. And so as we look and see, we go down even further in chapter 20, verses 22 through 24, and it says, Now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is just towards the end of his third missionary journey, constrained by the Spirit, knowing what will happen there. So the Holy Spirit is holding him back. He's constraining him. He's holding him back. It's, what we, it's, it's, it's actually a word that you can use for bound. See, the Holy Spirit was holding him back, kind of binding him up a little bit and saying, not yet, Paul, not yet. I have a plan. The Holy Spirit is the agent that's working through the book of Acts, and he's the one who's working through the church from Pentecost, and he's saying that, not yet, not yet. In fact, we can get a word for compelled. 
He goes, I'm compelled to hold you back right now. And in verse 23, except the Holy Spirit testifies, Paul's saying, in me, in every city, that imprisonment and afflictions await me. And he goes, but I do not count. This is his response. He's constrained. He's held back. The Holy Spirit's saying that you're going to suffer. You're going to go through imprisonments. You're going to go through an affliction. But hold back. I've got a plan for you. Here's Paul's response. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus Christ to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. See, God is the one whom he was looking for freedom. He wasn't trying to escape from anything. That was his response. And now in chapter 21, as the story continues, as you see, now it's not the Holy Spirit just telling him directly. Now the Holy Spirit is using a prophet, Agabus. And he says this in verse 11. He says, in coming to us, he told Paul's, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and his hands and said, thus says the Lord the Holy Spirit. This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. He's speaking future. He's speaking Rome. Still some chapters ahead of us about to do it. And he goes, for when he heard this, we and the people, they urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Don't go. Don't go into that suffering. Don't go into the afflictions. Come on. Come here where it's comfortable, where it's protected, where we don't see any suffering or difficulty, that we're just protected and it's all, it's all good. He's saying, no, I must go. Listen to his response. He goes, I, I must go. I must go. And he goes. And he's heading out and he's saying, then Paul answered. He said, I must go. He says, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? Pretty much he's saying, suck it up. (laughs) I mean, that's what he's saying. For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. We would only envision just Paul saying that. But he has the same Holy Spirit that you and I have today. Permanent and indwelling. That's not only his passion. That should be our passion. See, when we're a witness for Christ... That means you're willing to die. I'm willing to die for the sake of the gospel. This is a heavy message. We see the story is very clear. Jesus said to him, you will suffer. It's necessary and it must happen. Why? Because in the midst of his suffering, he was in the will of God. You ever think about that? You might be suffering right now. You might be going through a really hard trial. You might be going through a difficult marriage. You may be going through a difficult time with your child. You may be going through a difficult time at work. But you know that God wants to use that to minister to someone else? Do you know my life that I have seen in all the difficult struggles, the questioning, the doubting, the wondering, the why, what you call me to, Lord? All those questions. I look back and saying, oh, is that what you did, Lord? You're using it for your glory? He says, yes, son, I know it's been 32 years and you're still not getting it. But you know what? Guess what? I'm still using your story. And I'm going to use it for my glory. Yes, Lord. Here I am. I'm just your servant. I'm a mess. Have mercy on me. Just use me as you see fit. No different today for us. God wants to use our struggle and our difficulty as he did. But Paul, in his passion, he didn't look to get away. He goes on to say, and since he would not be persuaded, 
we cease, meaning Luke is writing there saying, let the will of the Lord be done. We can't stop it. Gamaliel said that. Can't stop it. Ain't no stopping us now. We're moving forward. And that's what God is doing. See, we have to understand Paul was not escaping from his suffering. He was pursuing Christ. He was pursuing the Christ. That is what he was doing. And in his story, that's what he wanted to do. That was his intention. That was his passion. That's what he, he knew the suffering was for a purpose. I mean, he said it from the very beginning. In verse 16, you gotta, you gotta take it from 916 and move it forward into the story. Thematic structure just there. It's not only in verse, it's chapter one, verse eight. It's even at verse 16 for, for Saul, who now we know is Paul. And throughout his story, God is using suffering and trials and doubting and even a sense of unbelief for his kingdom because he wants to take that that's in you and I and share that with the world. For those who don't know Christ, that we could share with them and say, I understand, I could validate where you're at. I've been there before. That's why I want God to continue to put in front of me that day when I came to faith in Christ to always remind me of what I was without Jesus because I want to share it with those who are far away from God. I want to proclaim the gospel. I want to share my story. I want God to be glorified in my life. But I'm only responsible for me, right? How about you? Can that be our passion together corporately as a church, that we want to reach the world? We'll do whatever it takes, suffer for the sake of the kingdom of God, give up something that we have for the kingdom of God. That's what we have to be willing to do because we're not at times willing to do that. That's why Paul even said in his story, even towards the end of his life, he said in verses 11 and 12, he says, for which I have appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. Why? Because the Jews are coming after him, and he knew he was different, and he knew God called him to it. He goes, for I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until the day which he has entrusted to me. You know what that day is? You know. It's glorification. (laughs) You know that day when we enter into his presence. You know that day when he says, good and faithful servant. That's what he's calling all of us to. His mission was not to live a life of peace, avoiding pain, avoiding struggle, difficult trials, although he struggled, although he questioned His mission was simply to pursue Christ. The sufferings in the trials were expected. In fact, the suffering came from the Jews, as we know, because they opposed the gospel. But it never frightened him. It only fueled him. Can you get that? I mean, it fueled him. I mean, suffering, afflictions, trials fueled him. I'm not there. It's not fueling me yet. I wanted to. I have a passion for that. But I'm not seeing that it's fueling me. See, God knows our story. He knows our pain. He knows our faults. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our trials. He knows our identity crisis. He knows when people mistreat us and we have to love them well. It hurts. It's painful when someone mistreats us intentionally. It's very painful. You know that, that vendetta in us wants to get back. I know in my, and the, la vendetta, we say in Italian, you know, we're ready. It's like, just watch out. Don't turn. You better, you better walk around with one eye behind your head because you don't know what's coming, right? I mean, that's kind of like that initial flesh. And then the Holy Spirit has to say, really, Bruno? Really? I mean, that's what God wants to do in us. He wants to use all the struggle and the difficulty. See, I love Paul because, see, Paul was willing to be tied up and die for Jesus than to be set free and live for himself. 
He was willing to be tied up and die for Jesus than willing to be set free and live for himself. See, we live in an America that's obviously individualistic. It's very focused on the one person. Look out for me. To live free, to live for myself. But we have to be careful. God never called us to that. God calls us to a corporate coming together. See, that's where the freedom is. See, sometimes... The Lord has given us freedom in the midst of a secular world that wants to constrain us, condemn us, and ultimately crucify Jesus. Yet in all of this chaos, we still have the greatest freedom in Jesus Christ. And God has called us to that. We have great freedoms here in America. We have great freedoms to be able to share the gospel. May we as Christian Jews our freedom with the intent and the purpose to share the gospel wherever we go. That we can proclaim the gospel, not just for ourselves, but for the kingdom of God. In our workplaces, in, his, in our establishments, wherever it may be, in his, in his establishment here, in people's homes, in our schools, we have the opportunity to share the gospel. No, it's not popular. No, they'll, they'll give us a hard time. No, we won't be uh, someone that they would look to to talk to, but we have to be willing to live that out. God has given us that freedom. I mean, that's why Paul, I love when he says this. It's like Philippians 1-3, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's his passion. That's where his freedom came, willing to die for the witness of God. And then we see this. It says, when we are suffering at the hands of our enemies, we still have the freedom to proclaim the gospel. See, suffering shouldn't stop us. Difficulties, afflictions, trials, and tribulations, or people speaking, us, speaking to us in a very strong, strong voice and trying to stop us and constrain us from sharing the gospel. We have a story. God's given it to us. He wants us to share it. But he has to work in our lives. And I really believe that it's through suffering and trials and tribulations that's where we really meet Christ. It's where we really come to understand and know him. And then when we do and when we grow in our faith, we can share and share that story with someone else. That's why it's so important for us to understand. Just like when you, when you think about and see that, um, that it's important for us. I'm, guys, this is not working again. 2 Timothy chapter 2, 8-10, it's highlighting that. And it's, it's saying very simply this, that remembering Jesus Christ, the gospel, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. I mean, that, that right there tells you the gospel, the story, the word of God is never bound, and the election, the elect that we are, similar to what he said in Acts 9, 15, and 16. We see that, that we have that freedom. So what do we do with this freedom? Where is it that? How do we react to this freedom? Well, you know, we understand that the story of Paul, that he shared his testimony was actually the chapter 9, then chapter 22, and chapter 26. Today, my intention is not to recant the story in chapter 22, but to just highlight the importance of what we should do with our freedom as a Christian freedom and what's required. What attitude should we have? What is it that we need to be doing? And what is it that Paul did that we can learn from? So let me just share a couple of things here, just two things. It says, living in Christian freedom requires... Just one, a winsome attitude. And it doesn't mean having this overly, what we call, optimistic view 
But it's the willingness to say that in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my trial, in the midst of everything I do, no matter what, no matter how I feel and constrained, that God is still calling us for a purpose. So no matter what, I says, no matter how constrained we feel, we must be compelled to share his story. Remember, your story is his story. It's his story working through you and I. And our story is to share the gospel. And no matter how we feel, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what the suffering is, no matter what the trial is, no matter what, we have to be compelled. Man, we have to be moved. We have to be compelled of God to say, here I am, Lord. And so 1 Corinthians 9, 16, again, part of his story, he says, for I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. So obviously we know that what he's saying is it's a sin for him not to share the gospel. No matter what, no matter what's in front of us, we have to understand that we have to share the gospel in every situation. I've shared this story before and I, I just feel the need to repeat it again. My father, who had passed away in 2000, was sitting home. We had people over our house. Obviously, as I've told you in the past, we had a lot of Italians in Stanford, Connecticut. They're all there, all of, even the people from our hometown in Italy, sitting around. I walk in, and of course, I get hammered here in America as well as in Italy about you know, me being a minister of the gospel. Me at that point in, in time, uh, I was obviously a pastor of a church, and so they asked they have to ask me the questions about Catholic religion versus being a Christian. And so I sit here and I, and I pull that out and I say, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to, it's awful. It feels awful. It's uncomfortable. I hated it. I hated being around the Italians because I know I was going to get hammered. But the Lord kept telling me, stand your ground, stand firm, listen to what they have to say, share with love, don't beat them up, share the gospel. So my father was making fun of me in front of other people, trying to embarrass me. And that was because it made him feel good because he was disappointed that I left the Catholic church. Although he, I don't know why he was disappointed because he barely went to church, but he was disappointed because of the identity in our culture. And so the other times were laughing at me. I'm right in the middle and they're all looking at me. And I share the gospel with my father and I share the gospel with another Italian friend. We're all talking. And after they laughed at me, they ridiculed me. And it hurt. I'll be honest, you know, I'm human. It hurt. And I just simply said to them, Please, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will remember, it's gonna be too late, Dad. I love you. But when you get into eternity, it's gonna be too late. And they laughed and they ridiculed me. My father died shortly after that, just within a year. And that gentleman who was next to him died within six months of my father. And I warned them in love not in an angry way, with a very subtle and sweet voice, I said, we're all accountable before God. We will stand before the Lord. And my own brother, when my father died, he asked me, as I shared this before with you guys, he said, Bruno, do you know if someone dies a bad death, will they go to hell? I said, I don't know about that, Joe. He goes, because dad died a bad death. He just he his, tilted his head to the right and his tongue was out. It didn't happen to mom. I said, I know. I was there. I was with you just before she passed. But Joe, I don't know. He didn't even have confidence about my father. And I want to tell you something. We have the responsibility 
to share the gospel. It's a sin if we don't share the gospel. The situation doesn't bind us up. We are not bound by our situation. We're bound by our sin. I didn't want to be bound up by my sin. I didn't want the suffering, the ridicule, and the struggle there of just looking like an idiot in front of all those people to stop me from sharing the gospel. It hurt. It was painful. But I needed to do it. And I'm glad I did because you know why? We know in the scriptures and the gospels we're accountable to share the gospel and to share Jesus Christ with all people. Remember, Jesus said, I won't share you in front of the Father unless you share me in front of all. And it's a sin if we don't. We are called to. It's not optional. It's a command. It's not optional. You know, we are commanded to share the gospel. We're commanded to share our story. It's not optional. God's called us to it, and we must make sure that we're called to it. It's key. You know, in chapter 21, verses 30 through 33, as Paul is being bound up again, after he went to James, the leader of the church of Jerusalem, and had to join three or four other brothers to go into the synagogue to purify himself, what happened? The Jews heard about it. And when they heard about it, they stirred the crowd up. And what happened? It says that Paul was seized in verse 30 and dragged him out of the temple. And at once the gates were shut. And it says, verse 31, as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune and the cohort that all of Jerusalem was in confusion. Did you notice they were confounded in chapter 9? They're still confounded in chapter 21. And he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains and inquired who he was and what he had done. And he was sent to the barracks, but he asked to speak to the crowd. Why? Why would Paul ask to speak to the crowds? He was being sent to the barracks. He could have been quietly sent, just been sent away, gone into jail, still proclaim the gospel. Why? Because he was called to do it. It was commanded of him. God said, you must be a witness for me everywhere, all where you go. He said he had a freedom, and he needed to share it. He did not want to hold back. He didn't want to escape from his suffering. He wanted to pursue Christ. He wanted to share his freedom. He left the results up to God. He shared the gospel. In chapter 22, he threw out the, the chapter just to, towards the middle. He shared the gospel. He was willing to share. His freedom was to share Christ. This was victorious living. This was winsome attitude. Never give up. Always believe God for his best. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. That's what it was called to. He was not bound by a situation. He would only be bound by a sin. And he said, I am not going to sin. I'm going to share the gospel. Number two, living in a Christian freedom requires a willingness to, be, to witness. That's really simple. A willingness to witness. I mean, it's really simple. Towards the end of this chapter, he says this, but you will be my witness. He's recanting the story. When Ananias was telling him, you will be my witness, Jesus was speaking through Ananias, for him to everyone and of what you have seen and heard. I mean, at this point, he heard from Jesus he was to be a witness. He's to be a light 
to a light to the world all around him. Witness means, again, martyreo, which is mar- martyr for him, ev- to everyone. And everyone means all peoples, ethnicities, nations, all peoples, not a certain people, not just the Jews, but to all peoples. He's to be a witness to them, to see just what he has seen and heard, to report of it. Because it was clear that was his mission. It was clear that he was called to do. Now, here's what's confusing. The Jews from the Old Testament were called to do the very thing that Paul was doing. The Jews who were enemies of the Gentiles and the Jews who were enemies of Paul when he was sharing the gospel, that was their responsibility from the Old Testament. But religion got in the way. Judaism got in the way. See, the intentionality of the Old Testament was clear. See, when Paul was given this, this message and the apostles were given this message, as Jesus said, but you will receive power when the, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all of Samaria and the ends of the earth. That was the mission. But the Jews missed it because their mission was similar. You might think, well, wait a minute, really? Yes. Because the Jews missed it because they were bound by their tradition rather than free for God's mission. That's what they missed. Why? Because Isaiah 42, verse 6 says this. I am the Lord. He's talking to the Jews. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for my people a light for the nations. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he called the Jews to do. What confounded them? What bound them up? The religion. Paul said, no, from religion to redemption, I'm set free. It's no longer about religion. It's no longer about tradition. It's no, do you know as Christians in Christianity, we could have traditions that bind us up. Or we can live in our redemptive state and say, God, here I am. What would you have me do? You have the opportunity. I have the opportunity. You you are God's voice in the world that you're in, wherever you are, in your neighborhoods, in your jobs. You have the opportunity that we all don't have. As staff, as leaders, we don't have that. You have the opportunity. You could be the one to share Christ, but you got to have that story. And through your suffering, through your difficulty, you and I don't want to drop drop in and say, oh, well, let me escape from my suffering and just look to something else and lean on something else. God's called us to lean in on him through his son, Jesus, pursuing Christ. And when we do that, we have the freedom to share wherever we go. So I ask the question, how are you living? Guys, one more, just hit the slide, please. One more, how are you living? How are you living? How am I living? What's your story? Is your suffering, your trials, your tribulations, are you escaping from them? Are you avoiding them? Are you avoiding the pain? Or are you saying, God, use this pain and make me more like Jesus. Conform me to the image of Christ. See, Paul did that. He was willing to tackle anything. You say, well, that's Paul, Bruno. That's not me. I don't have that person. It has nothing to do with his personality. It has nothing to do with a personality. I have seen introverts more passionate than me. You might say, really? Yes. My passion doesn't come from my personality. My passion comes because Jesus saved me from my sin. I know what it was like to live without Jesus. And I want him to continue that in me. I don't want to grow cold. I want to be hot for Jesus. I want others to see a difference in me. My neighbors are here. They're believers. I'm driving in my car and I look to their house next door. I told them. 
And I said, I prayed for them. The Lord told me, pray for, for Chris and Melissa. And I did. Stopped, let my car warm up, and I prayed for them. I prayed for them, but I just, the Lord told me to pray for them. And they showed up this morning, and they've been coming here, but I just prayed for them. That's all it takes. Just let me pray. Let me share the gospel. That's sharing the gospel. That's what we're called to do. Let us be on fire for Jesus. And let us all be useful for the kingdom. You have a story, I have a story. Let's share it with the world. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I pray that you would help us see, no matter how we're struggling, the pain. God, you know our pain. You know our struggle. You know our suffering. You knew, Paul, you used it for your glory. You even said you must suffer. God, I don't believe you've taken that message from us. You, you've taken it away from us. You're saying the same thing to us. We have to die to self. The greatest religion out there today is meism. <laughs> and guess what, Lord? We've given our rights over to you, so me doesn't own, we can't, we can't run by me anymore. <laughs> the so-called me. Meism is gone. Lord, you've bought us with a price through your son. And me is now surrendered to you, Jesus. And this religion that is in me, meism, needs to die every, self, every day to self. To die, Bruno has to die every day so that through dying, your power is living through me. God, may I pray that each one of us would die to self in the midst of our suffering, through our struggle, through our pain. And may we learn that through it, we will grow closer to you and be free. And then when we're free from ourselves, free from our suffering, free from our struggles, God, you'll be glorified. God, today I thank you for this freedom today that we have in America. Thank you for the freedom to be able to come into a building where we can worship you, where we can praise you, where we can say glory to God in the highest and no one could even consider judging us. So today I pray that with our freedom, May we take the opportunity today, whether with friends, family, whomever, to share the gospel, even if we're around Christians, to share the gospel so we could share our story. God, may you be glorified in our lives today for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God, be glorified. May you enjoy your day of freedom. God bless you guys. Enjoy your day.